the sermon this morning is kind of unique, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I gave a lot of thought of what to do. I was going to, I had a number of different options, and I decided I'm just going to go with what God's leading me to do. And so bear with me as I bring these three points, you can find them in your bulletin, uh, across to you. The first one is kind of the what, and... I talk about some guiding ambitions for 2023. The second point is kind of the how. How how do we go about pursuing such ambitions? And the third point is really the result if you take the challenge and move in this direction. I have a number of scriptures, so if you have a pen and paper, you should probably get your pen out or pencil or borrow it from someone else. Um, And... One of the glorious things about technology is we're recording this, so if you miss some stuff, you can just go online, beaconforthecity.org, and download a sermon and slow it down and review it. I don't want to snow you with information, but I want to give you enough information that you can hold on to it and apply it to your lives. So with that, let's just um, begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you for this Great day of just closing off the Christmas season and beginning the new year, Lord. Thankful that uh, we are able to celebrate the new year together on Sunday. This is uh, pretty amazing. Lord, I pray that you would bring to mind those things that you gave me during the week. For the sermon today, I pray, Father, that it resonates with people's hearts. And Lord, that we might all grow thereby. That we might all take this food and eat it partake of it, Lord, and Father, that we might digest it and that it might turn into energy and productivity, Lord, in our Christian lives. We thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers and answering them according to your will. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, what about those New Year's resolutions, right? Um, Every year, many, and I, I would be one, Take stock of the last year and with great anticipation and determination write down some New Year's resolutions. I've done that for years. Resolutions like, I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to pay off my debt finally. I'm finally going to set a budget and I'm going to stick with it. Or I'm going to get into an exercise program and do it consistently. I'm going to join a gym. Boy, they make a lot of money on this first month, right? Statistics show us that 23% of those that make such commitments let them go within one week. I'm not going to raise my hand in that. I think I made it two weeks, maybe three weeks. And only 19% follow through and continue into the second year. Starting new habits is very, very difficult, so be careful what you commit to doing and resolving to do. Now, I'm not promoting not having some goals for 2023, but I'm just cautioning you to consider wisely what you're resolving to do. Proverbs 13, 12 tells us plainly, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when you're not hitting those goals that you're setting can become a real disappointment to you. That's not saying you shouldn't set goals. It's just be wise in goal setting. I'd like to suggest instituting some spiritual guidelines rather than firm commitments, I'm going to do this. 
this year. Just some guidelines to take us into 2023. Such spiritual guidelines can be empowered then by a faithful Holy Spirit who will enable you to actually grow spiritually. So it's a little bit different than having a New Year's resolution, I'm going to do this. It's more kind of a focus of our thinking as we go into the new year. Some of the guideline or guiding ambitions for 2023 are a series of spiritual virtues, if you will. Spiritual virtues. And having the mindset to cultivate this spiritual virtue. I've listed out a couple. There are more, I'm sure. But here are some suggestions, and you can choose one or two if you like, as something to focus on this year. The areas are broad, and they allow for nuance And as you pursue these virtues in your own lives. The first one is humility. Humility is the queen of Christian virtues, just as pride is the king of spiritual enemies. Humility is not so much thinking of yourself less as it is just not thinking about yourself at all. One author identified key characteristics of humility and contrasted them with pridefulness. One evidence of humility is being overwhelmed with a sense of your own spiritual need, but pride focuses on the perceived needs of others. I think of the song, the old song, not your brother, not your sister, it's me, O Lord, standing in need of prayer. I don't know how many remember that song. It's old, but it's really true. You get this when you're preaching a sermon, you see the wife go like this to the husband, or the husband go like this to the wife, or the wife go like this to the child. You know, okay, so it's applicable to the other, but is it applicable to you? How about intentionally practicing forgiveness because you know what you've been forgiven? Whereas a proud person is fault-finding of others and unforgiving of others' shortcomings. Patient. Philippians 2 tells us that humility is evidenced by the person who esteems others better than themselves. Whereas a proud person is self-righteous and thinks little of others. Humility is dependent upon God and others for helpful hints into their lives. But the proud are independent and deceive themselves into thinking they're self-sufficient. They don't need input from others. They don't need to be instructed. They got this. Humility is ready and prepared to yield its rights. I read a book once that was by Mabel White. Have We No Rights. Terrible book. Terrible book. I read it when I was preparing to go into missionary service. And she basically was saying, when Jesus said you need to die to yourself, he meant you need to die to yourself. And then she explained that whole process and the many, many areas that it touches in our lives. You know, being ready to yield your rights and the need to be right 
the need to be right. That's humility. And it's something that we can all ask God to help us with. But the proud strive to prove that they are right. They argue for what they are thinking, their perspective, their opinion. The humble serves others, but the proud demands service from others. Humility is seen by an attitude of great gratitude. Just that letter that I read to you, just a portion of it, really reminded me again and again. You know, we live in a land of plenty. And the devil uses that because we become really, really unaware of how blessed we are. And we kind of set back and then we begin to think that we deserve this stuff. What about the people in the Ukraine? What did they do? Or the Sudan, which you don't hear anything about anymore, but war continues to rage there. Or African nations ravaged by AIDS. I mean, there's so much to be grateful for, and yet we complain, right? An attitude of great gratitude, being amazed that God would use us for anything, okay? But the proud are driven to be recognized and applauded, and they get upset when they're not recognized, when they're not applauded. Humility can learn from anyone. Big or small, young or old, prideful people let others know how much they think they know. They're always telling you, we all have friends like that, right? (laughs) Cringe. The humble are quick to own their faults, and they take personal responsibility for their failures, but the proud blame others incessantly. Fault-finding, blame-shifting. Humility is observed when a person is broken, And they're not concerned with who knows of their state or whether their brokenness is exposed. That's true humility. You just have taken your hands off yourself. But the proud strive to cover up their failures. They attempt to hide from exposure. Think Adam and Eve. Leaves, right? Covering their sin. Didn't work. Finally, the humble hold their own meager holiness up to God's standard, which humbles them further. But the proud, they measure themselves against others, and they consider themselves better than they are. You know, focusing on humility as a goal for 2023 will bring a total revolution to your life. I can guarantee that. Now, this is just one of the spiritual virtues that I'm talking about. There's more. But this one is primary. Nobody is irreplaceable. You, I, we are not irreplaceable in whatever position we hold. Okay? Whether it be mother, whether it be father, whether it be boss, whether it be bread earner, And it hurts so bad for us to learn those lessons. It's good to contemplate on this now in case the Lord has to pry our hands off of what we think we're owed. And those things come as a great surprise to us when he does that. 
But practicing humility and, and focusing on that virtue will revolutionize your Christian life because you'll be drawing closer to God in your need to mortify the sin that you have recognized so easily entangles you. Pride. (laughs) This is an easy resolve to tackle because, as John says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And pride is sin. But God's blessed promise follows that verse in 1 John 1.9, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a win-win situation, but the brave of heart take that challenge. How about focusing on the sovereignty of God for 2023? The second area you might want to cultivate in 2023 is a greater comprehension of God's sovereignty. Spurgeon once said this, quote, nothing of the future is left to chance. Nothing of the future is left to chance. Nay, not the falling of a sparrow nor the losing of a hair is left to haphazard, but all the events of life are arranged and appointed. Well, I'm going to talk to God about that losing the hair business. Not one. He knew it from before the foundation of the world. Not only is every turn in the road marked in the divine map, Spurgeon says, but every stone on the road and every drop of morning dew or evening mist that falls upon the grass which grows on the roadside is known of God. We are not to cross a trackless desert, The Lord has ordained our path in his infallible wisdom and infinite love. Only Spurgeon. Amazing man. Amazing insights. The sovereignty of God answers all the unanswerable questions in life. You realize that? When the bottom drops out and when confusion sets in and when this happens, rather than that, Knowing that God is supremely over all things and knowing him personally and studying about his character so that we can honestly say again with Spurgeon, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. He's sovereign. Makes no mistakes. It's us who thinks there are mistakes being made in our lives. When by a renewed interest and study of the sovereignty of God, you begin to understand that when you are up against a tough situation, maybe it involves another who has power over you. You know that the king's heart, even the king's heart, is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord or Yahweh. He turns it wherever he wants to. There's there's a marvelous sense of peace in knowing the sovereignty of God. It's not believing in fate. It's knowing that he is all-merciful and all-loving and all-knowing. Ephesians 2.10 has always been a great reminder to me that as Spurgeon said above, all the events of life are arranged and appointed. We read, because we are 
his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're supposed to be doing something with our lives as believers if we've been created in Christ Jesus, okay? And it says, which God prepared beforehand. That beforehand means before the foundation of the world. So that, here's a purpose clause, this is the purpose of this, so that we will walk in them. That's why he created these good works before the foundation of the world, so that you and so that I will walk in them. There's a path laid out. When we yield to the Spirit of God and follow him in the way that we should go, we're right in sync with what he has prepared for us to do. To me, that's very assuring. Very, very assuring. He's already laid out the day. He's laid out the way. He's indwelt us with the power that raised Jesus. So we're empowered to actually accomplish that which he has laid out for us to do. And all we need to do is rely on the Spirit of God and walk under his control. Well, that's humility is one great big area to look at. Sovereignty is the second. The third area is simple obedience. This might be one you want to focus on this year. Why is it that simple obedience is not simple? When I suggest simple obedience as an area to focus on in 23, I'm, I'm using the word simple in the sense of 2 Corinthians 11.3. There we read, but I am afraid, Paul writing to the Corinthians, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That word simple there doesn't mean nonsensical or easy. It means singularity of focus, like a laser beam. Singleness of mind. Singleness of devotion to Jesus Christ. Without distraction, without interruption, an uninterrupted devotion to Christ. And this is the mindset that Paul was fearful that Corinthians might be led astray from through the deception similar to the way that Eve was deceived. Hath God said, <laughs> hath God said, do you want to be a God yourself, Eve? Well, here's the way. Walk ye in it. Simple or single devotion means obedience that is unimpaired by caution of consequence. Caution of consequence. Do you know that that is a hindrance to obedience for some? There is no weighing the potential difficulties of obeying God. But God, if I do that, this might happen. Yeah, so what? <laughs> obey, obey, simply obey. It's obedience modeled by Abraham when God told him to take his son, his only son, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering. A burnt offering is one that is totally consumed. Completely. And we read Abraham's response. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him to go. Simple obedience. Simple obedience. 
To practice simple obedience in 2023 would mean to obey what you know God wants you to do. Make a list, if you dare, of things that you know God wants you to do that you are not doing. Anybody want to raise their hand for that challenge? If you're serious and sincere, God will bring to mind those things that you're not doing that you know he wants you to do. I'm I'm honest with you, he will. Remember, folks, we're dealing with supernatural things, divine things. These are not things that are ordinary or that we conjure up. We're dealing with a God who loves us, who actually sent his son to die for us, and he won't guide us in the way that we should walk. He will. He'll let you know if you're bold enough to do that. To practice simple obedience, could it be maybe starting up reading the Bible again? Or prayer? Or maybe starting up a Bible study or attending a church-sponsored Bible study we have Men and women study. Come. These are designed by your elders so that you can grow by these studies. Many, many hours are prepared, uh, spent in preparing these lessons so that we can grow by them, and those that are preparing the lessons also grow. It's win-win. So whatever it is you know God wants you to do, to simply obey him is to do them. So humility sovereignty, obedience, broad areas that you could just focus on. A fourth area is having a renewed joy in salvation. This is a virtue that is wonderfully rewarding because the more it is practiced, the deeper the joy is that invades our lives. To look into and study and meditate on your eternal salvation in Jesus Christ the Lord is to wade into the deep pool of heartfelt, sincere gratitude at every level. Why me? Lord, why me? Because we all know people that we've witnessed to for years and they just are recalcitrant, just pushing back. Well, they still have breath, so there's still hope. So don't give up hope. But why me? What? And just dwell on the fact of what your eternal salvation actually means. It is eternal. You're just experiencing the very, 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 very first fruits of that salvation. But to focus on it and think about it, wondering at the blessings of salvation, thinking on the way that you lived and thought before your salvation, in contrast to the way you think and live now, there is a difference. You may not be the super saint, but if you're a believer, you think and live differently from the way you once thought and lived. For some of us, it's marked. Very, very different. For others of us, it's not as marked. It's not black and white, but there is a difference. Well, when you think about that, it causes you to rejoice. More importantly still is that it's affecting change in your perspective. I I love Habakkuk 3.17 says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, 
the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on my high places. It doesn't matter, people. Our renewed joy in the God of our salvation has nothing to do with outward circumstances or inward turmoil because Habak was experiencing both in a huge degree. Outwardly, there wasn't anything left. Inwardly, he couldn't understand why this was happening. And he says, yet I will. I will. There you go. Volition. And it's not dependent on outward circumstances. This virtue has everything to do with your focus. And therefore, practicing this virtue in 2023, practicing a renewed joy in salvation and the God of your salvation is going to change everything for us. It really does. Begin a list of blessings of your salvation and how God brought them about and then share them with someone else. Humility, sovereignty, obedience, and the joy of our salvation. Last one, okay, for this area. Eagerly awaiting Jesus' return. This is what naysayers would say is pie-in-the-sky thinking. You know, those that aren't believers think of us as kind of loonies that we're got so much hope put on the future of something that's going to happen good. Well, I like to think of it as Jesus Christ returning as a reigning king over the earth in the sky, thinking. <laughs> as believers, we're instructed to eagerly anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, we're admonished to do so. Now, I'm not talking about becoming a survivalist because Jesus is coming back in 2023, although he very well could. In fact, he could come back today, and we would rejoice. But from the time of his ascension in Acts 1.11 on through the epistles, we read of anxiously awaiting his return. Uh, in Acts 1.11, the angel tells the disciples that watch Jesus ascend up into heaven, into a cloud, and into heaven and out of sight. He says, stop standing around and looking up into the sky. <laughs> now, some people that are into prophecy could be accused of that. He goes on to say, Jesus will come again in just the same way that you've watched him go into heaven, which means he'll return in his glorified body and he's seated at the right hand of the Father now in his glorified body. He is the beginning of a new humanity which we are all part of if we're born again and regenerate. We have the seed of that promise in the Holy Spirit which dwells within us. And it doesn't appear yet what we will be like, but we know it's true. Paul admonished the believers in Philippi and Rome to eagerly await his return. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, which also, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We eagerly wait for the Savior, 
That's in Philippians. In Romans, he says, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. But if we hope for what we do not see, we persevere, we wait eagerly for it. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. All pointed to the fact that we should have that as part of our mindset that he could come at any moment. This is also a huge deterrent to sin. Peter gets into the fray saying, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And John speaks of the same in 1 John 3.3. Everyone who has this hope, this hope of Jesus returning, fixed on him, so you're really, really focused on it, fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Like I said, this, this will have a tendency to help you curb sin appetites. And Jude weighs in in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, if you listen to Jan Markell, you'll realize that we're one of the few churches that are in existence that actually preaches about a pre-tribulation rapture and believes in in prophecy and, and unashamedly so. Why is that? Well, it's the spirit of the age. When we cultivate an intense anticipation for Christ's return, it'll help purify us even as it will intensify our joy. To contemplate King Jesus returning to take his proper place as sovereign regent over the earth cannot help but infuse the believer with joy and increase the fervor of his anticipation and also give us perseverance. Now, those are just some areas that you can look into in 2023. That's the what. Here's the how, okay? Following through on spiritual disciplines, you might be thinking, well, I've repented, I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that it? I'm saved. I'm already saved. Isn't that the important thing? Yeah, it's the first step. But I'm sure that if you really have trusted Jesus Christ and you are truly a believer, that you've come to a point where you struggle with sin. And you might be frustrated by that or perplexed by that. And the battle is real and you may feel like you're losing it. What's that about? I thought I'm forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future. We are. But what about this this struggle that I face? I think there might be a serious disconnect in understanding of what salvation is and means if you struggle with that, okay? So I want to take just a little bit of time, and time is running fast. I hate these things. You know, somebody put this up here back when we first had the pulpit, and I've never looked at it. So... (laughs) I'm just going to put that down. This stuff's too important, okay? It's really important. How do, we, how do we continue in our spiritual commitments and not fizzle out? How can we not be part of that 23% that fail before the first week of the new year? Well, I, I have some help in this area. In Colossians 2, 6, and 7, you can jot that down. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. I told you there are a lot of scripture verses. We read, therefore, 
As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you have received him, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So how do we guarantee that we can actually accomplish some of these grandiose ideas of thinking about some of these virtues? By walking in faith. But that has different meanings to different people, I've, I've learned. Every believer received Jesus Christ by faith. And now we are to live by the Holy Spirit's assurance that God's word can be trusted when he has said, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We live by that. We believe we will go to heaven, right? And he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's Philippians 1.6. We believe this. So as we first believe the gospel, that's how we're supposed to live now, believing what God's word says. This presupposes a clear understanding of salvation. Salvation is already but not yet. Do you know that? It's already but not yet. We are becoming who God has declared us to be. This is so important. And this answers the question, why do Christians sin? We are becoming what God has declared us to be. There are three aspects to salvation. I could have a slide up if you want to put that slide up. There it is. Okay, so in 2 Corinthians 1.10, we're going to use that as a jump-off verse, God who raised or raises the dead who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. There are three tenses to salvation, and they're very, very important. What do I mean by not yet? Well, the past, in the past, we were justified. He has delivered us from the penalty of our sin. You can look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> we're in, okay, if you believe. We're in and we're on the escalator going up. And there's nothing that's going to kick us off the escalator. Even though you turn around and start walking down the stairs, you're still going up, okay? This is just a spiritual truth that's very, very real, that's in the past. It's called justification. Now, presently, we're living in what's called sanctification because even though he has delivered us from the penalty of sin, we don't have to worry about condemnation. We don't have to worry about hell. He is presently, present tense, delivering us from the power of sin. So we're delivered from the penalty, and we are being delivered from the power of sin. The power of sin has been broken. Why do I sin? And what do I do about it? Well, here's where keeping our spiritual commitments comes in. Now we are talking about sanctification. This is an ongoing process, which all of us are involved in. Nobody here is completely sanctified. All of us are struggling. We all fight the war of sin. 
Second Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, are being, present tense, transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's why we have new believers in our midst and we have middle-aged believers and we have old believers that have been believers for a long time and are more mature. There's a process, and there's a transformation that takes place in our lives. Romans 12.2 says this, Be not conformed to this world, rather, but be transformed. There's that word again, transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. You see, we've all got this script of sin (laughs) that we're born with, and God, through his word now, is transforming us by the renewing of our mind. That's why it's so important to read this and to study it. You don't have to be a theologian, but you need to know your Bibles because that's how God transforms your mind and renews you. As I said, we're becoming what God has already called us to be. Titus 2, 11 and 12 assures us that the power of sin has been broken in our lives for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We can actually say no to sin. Prior to our salvation, we couldn't. We, we just ran to it and looked for new ways to do it. We can live self-controlled lives We can be upright. We can be godly in our lives in this present age. And this is the ongoing process of sanctification. Now, the third is future. It's yet future. None of us here is glorified yet. I know some of you think of yourselves like that, but it's not true. You'll be delivered from the presence of sin. So think of these as the three Ps of salvation. Penalty, power, and presence. Penalty, power, and presence. Or you can think past, present, future. Get it in your mind. This should just... I've got this written in every Bible since my little Schofield Bible. It's in the front of my Bible. It just, it's something that just, it's, it's, it stabilizes me. It reminds me. And this future aspect, we thank God that we're not going to spend eternity fighting sin that so easily catches us up here in this experience. We're going to be released from the very presence of sin. That's glorification. It's a blessed hope of our salvation. Beloved, now we are the children of God, present tense. This is 1 John. Now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Future tense. We know that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. We will be raptured glorified, we will receive bodies that no longer bear sin. We can't go to heaven in these bodies because these bodies are like, like a stronghold for sin. They're mortal. We must put on immortality. And we won't be in the presence of sin any longer. We won't have sin driving us from inside and tempting us. <laughs> That's wonderful, glorious, being delivered from the presence of sin. Knowing these truths will help you to not grow weary in doing good because in due season you know that you're going to reap if you don't give up and you know that you're saved. Now finally, just my last point, I want to talk about the result of this. King David pled with Yahweh in Psalm 51, which is his contrite prayer after his sin with Bathsheba. 
He said this, restore to me, Lord, the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Restore me and sustain me. Some of us need to pray this prayer. Earlier I shared with you the admonition to practice simple obedience in 2023, which means obeying what you know God wants you to do. I also explained how sanctification works in the life of the believer, and that's not a secret. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says, Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus, now walk in him by faith. But I think some people get that faith mixed up with passivity. That we read it in the Bible, we attest that it's true, Okay, do it now, Lord. (laughs) No. And I want to take an Old Testament uh, example for you to see. It's a wonderful one. It's in in Joshua 3. Just jot this down. You can read it later. Joshua 3 is a story of them crossing over the Jordan River. This is after Jericho, right? And they're going into the land, and they got to go across the Jordan River. Problem is, it was flood season. So the Jordan was really flooding bad. Also problem, there's two and a half million people. So God came to Joshua and said, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the priests that are carrying the ark, I want you to tell them to step into the river Jordan and it will part and you guys will all go across on dry ground. So the priests who had the ark and the two and a half million in back of them, the priests led out and they got right to where the water was and they stayed there and waited for it to open up. That's what a lot of Christians do. There's a lot of Christians standing on the shore. And the Jordan just isn't opening up and they're very confused. Because they heard God's word, they understand God's word, but they ain't seeing it happen in their lives. And the reason is they haven't put their foot in the water. They haven't been active. It's like they don't have any volition. Our volition is supercharged by the Spirit of God. It's called empowering grace, enabling grace. And you've got to put your foot in the water first. So, okay, I'll use a man example for you. A beautiful woman walks by. Everything's in the right place. And you as a Christian, notice this. Okay, nothing wrong with noticing. But when you follow and you look and you think, that's wrong, that's sin, right? We now have the power to say no to that. And we can say, nope. And it may mean that you actually take your head and forcefully turn it. Men, okay? Women, what might it be for you? The the desire to have something that you don't have? Covetousness? A bigger house? That your husband has a higher paying job? That your children are all scientists? I don't know what it is, you know? (laughs) But you can say no to that because that is going to eat away at your soul. And the truth of the matter is, the feet of the priests carrying the ark had to step into the Jordan. And then only then did the waters part so that they could go across on dry ground. And it wasn't enough that the priests believed Joshua's command came from Yahweh. It wasn't even enough that they believed that the waters would part. Their feet had to actually go into the water. You have to actually begin to turn your head. And then the Spirit of God supercharges that and helps you follow through. Okay, Take that and use it in your life with the sin that you struggle with. 
Many believers languish in a mediocre kind of Christian life where there is no joy. They're overrun with sins and easily beset and tangled up in them to the point that they begin to even doubt their salvation and experience not unlike what the priests might have experienced if they just stood on the bank expecting the waters to part but never took that incisive step into the Jordan. Many believers do not experience the joy of God's salvation because they remain stuck just short of the waters of the Jordan. And they've received the command of God. The command's clear. And they believe God will do what he says, but they've not put their foot into the water. Believer, listen to me today. We must be intentional about our Christian lives. That is sanctification. Our justification is monergistic. That means that there is no effort on our part whatsoever. We believe what God has done on our behalf. It's all him. That's justification. Sanctification, we work together with God. You can look in Philippians, working out your own salvation in fear and trembling. That's what it's talking about. There is obedience involved. There is the will involved. And it's just at that juncture when you simply obey that God, he empowers you with the enabling grace to follow through and gain the victory before you fail. Your joy will come like a flood as you put your foot into the water, and it might be a new experience for you, and I'm looking forward to hearing testimonies. I tried that, and it works. It's true. You may be an older saint that's forgotten this truth, Rekindle it. Move forward. Don't draw back. But move forward in faith and obedience. And your joy will be full. And maybe you'll take my challenge to contemplate and practice one of these or two of these Christian values in 2023. Humility. God's sovereignty. Simple obedience. Experiencing the thrill, the joy of God's salvation in your life all new? Or eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus? Well, this is wishing you a happy 2023. It's a very odd sermon. (laughs) I I didn't follow a text and exegete it, but this is what God laid on my heart for you. Beacon of hope. I love you. You guys are marvelous, and it's a thrill to serve you. So I pray that you have great victory going into 2023, and that we can all rejoice together. And who knows, maybe he'll come back this year. That would be great. Let's pray. Father, we are so amazed at your loving kindness to reveal these things to us. And I know that this was a lot of jumping around in the scriptures, but it was more thematic, Lord. And Father, we do long to be closer to you, and we love the promise in your word that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. It's that sincerity of heart, Lord, that's often lacking. Feeble attempts. Father, help us to just not take on more than we can handle, but that we just take a little bit and pray and trust and then walk forward, Lord. And may we, our little bits, turn into bigger pieces and that we might become stronger and more faithful in 2023. We commit all these things into your hands, Lord, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.